Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up early today with Roger Lemaitre. He's the CEO of UEX Corp. They're a uranium junior with assets in the Athabasca Basin. And we talked to him about the recent fundraise, his thoughts on the market last year and looking forward, plus their plans for drilling. If you want our thoughts on the conversation, you can go and find those at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, plus training videos to help you with your diligence process. There are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time. And of course, there's a wonderful community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, uh, free from trolling and abuse. And if that sounds nice to you, maybe you should go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Roger, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I hope you're doing as well and staying healthy and happy and all that things. All of the above. Tech and affirmative. Absolutely. It's early in the morning for you there. So thanks very much for joining us. Have, have you been? No worries. Have you been? We've been doing well. Yeah. We've, I've been doing well. We managed to, to get through all these challenges. For us, we're just seeing COVID for the first. The, 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 the so-called second wave is kind of our first. So it's a little bit of an adjustment over the last little while. But things are go up for everyone in our team and our, and our group uh, and hope for our community seems to be doing, doing all right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, you've been very busy raising money, drilling holes, joining the OTCQB, <laughs> things like that. I, I do want to talk to you about that one, but let's do our customary one minute overview of your business uh, before we kick off so we can dive into some of those questions. Sure. So UX Athabasca focused portfolio uranium opportunity company. We span grassroots to development ready projects. Our development ready projects, we could push forward if we really wanted to, but I think we want to see the uranium market signal the need for those pounds before we push forward. So meanwhile, we're focusing on what called mid-stage and mid-term or resource level projects where we have hot holes, uh, advanced opportunities to grow our resource base. And our, our plan is to grow our resource base substantially in advance of that uh, market signaling more pounds. So we, we bring a different different you take on the uranium market than our uranium you, you, uranium equities and other companies do because we're playing more of a portfolio of opportunities than a project development or grassroots stage. Yeah, you've got a big portfolio there. The, yeah. the question is, how do you approach it? How do you fund it? And you know, what's the yeah. timing of all of the above? Now, given that most of your portfolio is uranium, we will talk about that one, but I just want to quickly get something out of the way. Loads of questions sent in, so we might as well deal with it. Uh, you've also got Cobalt. Cobalt's mm -hmm. on a little bit of a a run as well. Um, people yep. are getting interested and excited about Cobalt again. So you've asked this a hundred times. You've talked about it a hundred <laughs> times. Will there be a Cobalt spin out and when? Uh, we certainly hope there'll be a Cobalt spin out, but we are looking at all the opportunities. There could be partnerships, there could be uh, uh, rate sales, but our view is that we have an intel unique intellectual knowledge about how to find these brand new types of cobalt deposits in the Athabasca Basin. And it's probably the benefit of whoever controls this, whether it's UX, a spin out or, or whatever, that at least our intellectual knowledge is connected for a period of time. But it's always been for us about how do we make make a benefit for our existing shareholders. And we've been through a long, not a long, but a downturn in the cobalt market where cobalt was essentially a four letter word in the investment space and nobody was interested in new opportunities. And what's changed in the last couple of months uh, is the fact that 
you know, cobalt price has moved. That's fantastic. Um, we're certainly getting more inquiries about the cobalt internally into UX. Uh, we've had some funds, especially ESG funds, looking for that EV scenario, saying how do we how do we play this? And I think what's happened over the last year or two is that a lot of cobalt people have left the space that were sort of temporarily in there. And so there's a few opportunities for cobalt investors to get into cobalt spaces in sort of ethically secure safe jurisdictions. And so, yes, the opportunity is emerging. Is it right ready yet? Not so sure because um, we think it's getting better and we think there's a possibility, but at the end of the day, we won't make a decision on this until we think whatever deal we can make, whether it's a spin out or whatever, will benefit existing shareholders. And if we did this a year ago, the existing shareholders would own a very small minority of what the new company would look like. So that balance had to change. And if you go back to 2018, you could make an argument in our portfolio that cobalt assets were worth 30 to $50 million. So uh, do you want to steal it out for five? Mm, not, not so sure. No, no. I, I think the frustration was born out of the fact that there was very little activity going on elsewhere in the portfolio, right? And it was also quite difficult yes. to raise money cheaply, mm. right? So I know you did little yeah. raises here and there just enough to kind of keep things moving along and ticking over. You know, and I think when we've had a conversation, we've always had a very honest conversation about where the state of the market was at that time, right? So it wasn't, there's no case of running headlong into a heavy dilutory exercise at that point. So I, I do get that. But I also understand the frustration at the time was they wanted to just see oh. something move, right? So fair enough. I, I certainly understand it. We're, pro- we're probably equally as frustrated as investors would be on this because we, we went uh, uh, whole, as hard as we could to get this thing going and we missed it by a couple of weeks. So literally by a couple of weeks. Let's not go there again. People can people can look at our transcriptions, watch our videos, listen to our podcast. We've talked about it before. Nothing's changed yet. You still reserve the right to make a decision about it at some later date. Yeah. But certainly the, the market trend and investor trend is yeah. in a positive direction. There are possibilities, whereas I think a year ago, there weren't really any possibilities. I agree with that. I think Cobalt's coming back. I really do. Okay. So let, we, we better talk uranium. So I'm going to start. Holistic, you're an ex-Cameco guy. You've you've been in the industry a while. You've seen a seen a few things happen, and you've worked all around the world. Uh, you had a very sort of sober view of what would happen last year. I think it was borne out to be correct. Uh, however, we finished the year with a sort of little growth spurt. The equities did quite well. You guys did quite well. You're you're double the price. I think you were at 17 when we spoke to you in September, mid September. You're 34 now. Likewise, many of the other uranium equities in the same position. So. What do you put that down to? Well, certainly it's, it's investor interest in the uranium space. And, I, and I'd say one, the two sort of drivers for that, the, prob- the most important one is clearly investor attitude that the uranium price is going to have to move because utilities are at a point where they're going to have to start making purchasing decisions. And that is that is by far the underlying driver. But I think one of the sort of force multipliers in that is the view that you know, that nuclear is an important part of where clean energy is going to go. And so that maybe there isn't going to be a nuclear phase out as everyone was thinking about, that there is true growth going on, like we've been saying for a couple of years. So it's just, it's helped sweeten the pot a little bit. So that's definitely the driver. Um, The the challenge for investors is that we've seen this happen, uh, these starts a couple of times, and then we get that false start. And I will go back to to the early 2000s where we saw this happen four or five times and then it happened and everyone couldn't believe it happened. Uh, I think probably more than anything else is uh, we've seen the political uncertainty, particularly in the US, disappear 
over the last little while, we're seeing, you know, maybe maybe even the things that were going to be shut down uh, in, in reactors and states might not be shut down because there's political will to see them continue. So that's positive, and it will have a, a, a modest bump in the in demand. Uh, but more than anything else, it's it's the fact that we're seeing all the alternatives for utilities disappear over the last couple of uh, months, past year or so, uh, and they're working their way back down the value chain from fuel pellets back to your to yellow cake. And what you've seen happen is a whole bunch of things that sort of limit their options. So we were looking out uh, this time last year, your utility going, hey, you know, uh, our contracts are rolling over. We don't have long-term things, but man, I'm not sure we want to commit just now because we don't know where things are going uh, for our utility or for this particular reactor. Uh, let's let's short circuit that value chain and buy you, you know, things like UEP or UF6. And we've seen those buy out and, and the availability of those materials are pretty limited. And then you start to see the conversion and the SWU price change. And that's working way down the value chain. And it makes a lot of sense if you're a utility to be playing this way, because why would I buy three years worth of yellow cake when I have nowhere to process it? So you do, one of that's the value chain and two, it's short-circuiting the value chain to get a longer, to delay that inevitable need a little bit longer. And those things are starting to fall apart. And what you see now is utilities having to weigh the, oh my goodness, uh, do I buy SWU? Do I buy UF6? Or does the components, they call it, that's the, the of getting you going from yellow cake to conversion and that the same price. And now we're seeing, we haven't seen that debate in utilities probably since Fukushima. And so now they're starting to have that challenge. We've seen supply uh, on the spot market. We had a, a record year in 2020, but in November and December, it just completely dissipated. There was no buying whatsoever. And going into the new year, you're seeing uh, very little purchasing, both on the on mark on term markets and not. And I think I think Cameco's call a couple of weeks ago said it better. We're getting people coming to us, looking off the market to talk about uranium contracts. And the debate now is between what, what's the mechanism? Is it a fixed price contract with base escalated scenarios? Is it a, 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 a price that works? So utilities want to fix in today's prices and these suppliers are going, well, not we're going to lose money. And so they're at least talking. And I think that's a positive sign for the industry. Will it happen tomorrow? I'm a little more cynical about that. It's going to take, it's going to take a little bit more challenge. It is to the point though, like it was in 2006, where the one supply shock can change everything. So uh, it's a little more volatile, I think, than it has been. And we've seen it in the price up and down a little bit. Um, but you know, the hard part we're looking at spot today is that there's no volume. There's absolutely no volume. And it's all producer purchases, it's 80% purchase purchases. Well, I think we saw Trade Trade Tax weekly number on it is uh, $28.25. Yes, right? painful. Really painful. painful. But right. the industry is about contracts, okay? So um, coming back to the point about utilities, we, we, speak, we spoke with John Borshoff on Monday, right? And, you know, he of Paladin fame and, and, and now Deep Yellow. Um, his view is that the, the market's got to get to a point where it makes the utilities start behaving seriously. At the moment, they believe they've got optionality. I, we see SWU prices in the FSX and the EP going up, and, and that's all That's all good in, in the sense that they're being cleaned off the, the table, right, as, as, they should, as they should be, as you'd expect them to be. Um, and we've seen all of the American stuff go away, the, the Section 232s and the, uh, you know, the, the whole debate there about 
um, having a uranium reserve and the RSA feeding. So all of those things are, the, the table's looking clearer, but not it's not serious enough yet for the utilities. And no one understands yeah. the, the buying behavior of the utilities other than the yeah. utilities, right? So it, I think that that's why it's confusing the market. And my question to you is, we, we've seen a sudden interest in uh, uranium equities before Christmas and post-Christmas. And you guys have had a good run of it. You've had a good run of it. All your peers have had a good run of it. And that's because possibly these generalists are coming in and being made, made aware of the supply-demand gap. But as you said, there's going to be many false dawns again. Do you think there's a chance that if things don't start moving, contracts don't get start getting signed, that these generalists will just fade away? They're going to fall out of the system and move on to you know, the, the next opportunity cost. Oh, that's absolutely a fear, for, I think, for everyone in the industry. Absolutely. Because it is painful and it's harder to get back off the mat the next time. Uh, for sure. It's definitely a concern. The question is timing. Uh, how long do these generalists want to see? Uh, how long are they in for? Are they in for six months? Are they in for, for three years? And I think that's an answer that we haven't gotten when we talk to the generalists to where they're in. Uh, I, we see a lot of inquiries as opposed to why, you know, why is this good? Why is this bad? Why do you want to be in this industry? But we're not getting a good sense of how long people want to be in for. The ESG funds a little bit different. They have a different time, time long frame or time frame for their, their investments. But we do see that. Um, I think the challenge with, with generalists to say is that you, you, and I know that your bigger players will always say this, but the spot market is not necessarily indicative of what's actually happening. And every pound of spot eventually turns into a utility purchase and a term price. And so, yes, there's a zero term price. And I think uh, if you look at the last five years of, of, of contracting in, uh, in the world, there's been 815 odd million pounds of uranium consumed in the reactors and only 390 million pounds contracted. And that's probably been the steady state since Fukushima. And you go, wow, this, this just, eventually this has to give. But the question is, and I, I'm not the one who's going to predict it, is it tomorrow, six months from now, next year or the year after? Because it really comes down to utility comfort. And the reality is the utility goes into the market and they can find their pounds through a mid-carry trade contract. And they say, ah, it's still available. Ah, it's still available. And until they're proven otherwise, that's the case. And so in the last few months, we've seen uh, a couple of the funds being willing to get rid of their pounds to supply some of that short-term need. And so the question is, will the next time someone goes to the market, will it be there? And the moment it disappears will be the moment that they'll get, they'll get serious. So you're absolutely right. It's all about getting serious. And it's really about when I reach out there, does it show up? Does it show up? And the pound's there. And if someone's, someone might be in here and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm in at 25 bucks, uh, my pounds, I want to get out because I don't, I think I can put my money elsewhere. I want to get rid of these pounds. They'll float them out there. Sure. It could just it could it, it could validate another for that utility to make that decision not to contract. Yes, it's it's it's. I a, can't predict that. No, I know I know it's hard to predict, and you know people who, who do are fools because you'll never get it right other than by accident. You know, so I, but I, if I look at the the situation with this kind of whether it be the mobile inventory or you know this 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 uh, inventory in the marketplace being mopped up, you know, to fulfill the, these contracts. Um, it, it's it's so opaque, it's so vague, you can't <laughs> track it. You know, people, no wonder people go running to the spot price because at least it's a number that's put out there on a weekly basis, right? Okay, great, nice. It's the only transparent part of the entire uranium market right? and, it, and it's pretty opaque at that. 
But I, th- I think that the one thing we, we have seen recently is if you look, if you look at uh, Yellowcake and UPC, I think for the first time in a long time, they're in a sort of net positive asset position, which is encouraging because, again, yeah. that sent out the wrong signals. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, a diff- it's, a, it's a difficult mark because it is so very opaque. No one really knows what's going on. Um, even the players who are intimately, deeply involved in it don't always see what's happening. Like your 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 guys who who are on the utility side and the buyer side don't always see. And you know that there are a lot of buyers who follow the trends as well. Because if you if you own one or two reactors in your fleet and you're in the market every three years for pounds, you're going to follow what the rest of the industry tells you. It's safe. It's safe. If the industry is telling you to hold back, you hold back. If you think it's a panic fest, you will jump in. So you know, there's a good chunk of the market where utilities run one or two reactors. And unfortunately, the collectively, they have a large demand. So they follow the market. And you know what? They've not been wrong up to this point. Yeah, because they control the narrative. That's true too, but the, most of the industry associations are, are utility focused. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think there is one shining light in this, and that's the next gen feasibility study that was just came out, right? So I think it's good in two reasons. One, it brings attraction, it attracts the generalist investors, people to, to the sector and go, what could be? Because there was a fa- some fantastic numbers in that feasibility study. Um, you know, the payback real quick. Um, I think they've got a 10 year life of mine, which is, I guess that's the only surprising bit for, for, for me, uh, you know, and, I guess the question is, you know, how do you get that many pounds into the market and what's, what's the marketing effort required to do that? But I don't expect you to comment as a CEO of, a, of an Athabasca company. They know where you live. Uh, so it, it's, I think that is one shining light uh, potentially for the space at, at the moment. But look, we should move away from things general back to you. Thank you very much for the overviews. Always fascinating listening to you because with your experience, um, it, it you know, you've you've seen it. You've seen the behaviour before, and you know the players are. So I always think it's fascinating. Um, right. So you, you you raised some money. That's nice. You raised a bit more than you thought you would. Um, easy process. What? Who came in? Uh, it, for this particular one, it was much easier than than I would have thought. Uh, it was a you know, bought deal financing that uh, we had a lot more wish to subscribe than what we what we have. Well, excuse me, what we actually closed it off at, we could have done substantially more, but, you know, consistent with what we, with the way we operate, we don't like to, to raise money just because it's there. Uh, we raise the money thinking, here's what we want to do in 2021 from a field point of view. And then what puts the company in a good position through the end of 2022 from a GNA perspective. And that's what we raised, uh, not much more than that. So it was, uh, it was, it was, we were really positive about it. Yeah, six million dollars. Yeah, seven million dollars, right in the in the bank. So right. it, it puts us in a really good spot. Uh, we're not going to go gangbusters and go crazy, uh, drilling holes just for the sake of it. We we once again focus on our mid stage portfolio, remittance portfolio projects, and and just what do we need right now? Well, there, there's the key phrase in this that you've got these mid stage projects that you're focusing on. So let's let's explain the thinking of the management team. So why them? Because you've got a huge portfolio. You could be looking anywhere and looking for these kind of blue sky, you know, big high grade headline type uh, discoveries. But why the mid stage ones now? Well, two one the main reason is it's the lower risk opportunity to grow resources. 
So that, that's number one for us. And within, it's also the most cost-effective way to do resources or add resources to our portfolio because we're not doing a couple of years work to get up to speed to say, ah, here's a target that we'd really like to test. We've done the groundwork. It's been done already. We can go ahead and do that. So the, we found them as lower risk, but they still expose you to that new discovered potential opportunity that you might get in a grassroots company. Uh, our grassroots portfolio is, is very large. Uh, our view has always been that that's a great portfolio to have. It costs us next to nothing to hold. Uh, and when the rainy market turns, we can find partners to help us with the grassroots stage. We have more than enough opportunities in those mid-stage and resource level portfolios to keep a company like us active for a very long period of time. We like to get more of that portfolio working. We just want to find partners who have sustainability in terms of being able to finance the work needed to make a discovery. Yeah, otherwise we're in danger of just inviting a whole bunch of small uranium businesses unable to raise capital, but just wanting to participate in the rise in the market. You know, and I think and I can, that's what interests me about the way that the equities have moved recently, because I think there's been a wave of interest. And I'm trying to work out which companies have actually done anything. I have they had a control of any of that increase in value, or have they just had the you know they're in the right commodity at the right time do you know do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean uh, the, the rising tide floats all boats kind of scenario absolutely absolutely so for us uh i like you know uh, if i'd be lying to you say that the, the rising tide hasn't helped us because it certainly has there's absolutely no doubt about that uh i think for us we look out at that mid-stage portfolio and say hey here's the lower risk and we can for a very small amount of money we can we can I give you the opportunity to make a new discovery and grow a resource space in a company that has a floor in it because of the resource space we do have. So yes, I will say that uh, the potential for us to to make uh, to, to sort of exceed the rising tide is definitely there because we're we're relatively low risk by comparison. Okay, so you've raised some money. It's a lot cheaper than you could have done uh, perhaps last year. You've raised as much as you want to seven million Canadian dollars in the bank. How do you allocate that? How do you deploy that? I get the mid mid stage stuff, but how many are we looking at? We're looking at two projects, are we? Two two for the winter and one for the summer. Okay, talk so me through that. So winter work is going to focus on our Hidden Bay and West Bear projects, which are side by side in the eastern Athabasca Basin. And, the, and we're using the old database of work done to find a classic unconformity cigar-like style deposit to find the new style Arrow Eagle Point deposits. And every one of those Eagle and Eagle or uh, Eagle or Arrow deposits has a signature at surface. We've gone through the old database, looked at the old library of core, and looked for those signals and we see them in over a dozen places on those projects. And now we're going back and testing them. Sometimes it's a mineralized hole that's not been followed up into the basement. Sometimes it's all the indicator minerals that you'd wanna see around it, like the alteration and structure. So that's what we're doing right now at Hidden Bay, looking for shallow basement hosted deposits. Uh, and you know we're looking for uranium, but now with our knowledge of cobalt, you always have to say, ah, maybe the rocks will teach you to a cobalt system instead. So we keep that in mind. So it's a uranium primary focus, but who knows if cobalt comes out of the play uh, as well. And then in the summer, we're going to go back to Christie Lake and follow up our, our trend north of our northeast of our deposits on the Roar North, and then working our way back towards the MacArthur River mine on the same trend, uh, looking at what we think are still high priority targets to grow the resource space there. Right. Okay. And like, in investing, from my perspective, I think it's quite often about timing. Um, but likewise for you guys also about timing. So this money, you, you're going to spend what? How much money are you going to spend this in 2020? Four million over the year. Right. So four, four million in expiration. Okay. So you're not going crazy. You're again, 
moving forward cautiously. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're moving forward cautiously to, until you understand what the market's doing. Yeah, I think our exploration approach is a little bit different. Instead of just throwing a howitzer or a shotgun blast, we're trying to be a little more surgical in our approach and really looking at our targets. And our, our, our process for deciding how to allocate budgets is, here's our targets, let's rank them. Go after our best ones first, and then what do we need to, to, to actually test those targets properly? So it's not a question of which project we want to work on as much as which of our favorite targets are out there. So this year we're testing one, two, three, four, five, six, or six favorite targets that we have control of today. Our favorite target is still Shea Creek, which is still controlled by Rano. We're working with them uh, as we have the last time we talked to get that thing running because we do think it's got incredible potential for growth uh, for basement hosted deposits below the existing ones. And we're, you know, we're working with Arano. It takes time, but we're encouraged. Okay, well, well let's, let's talk about that because I was going to leave that to later, but can you mention them now? Obviously, they, you, you, you've got a joint venture with them and they have stepped away because they've been busy, distracted by lots of other things in the world, okay. like lots of companies, right? And we last time we talked, we you know they weren't active and you were in discussion about how do we get them back in here because they move at their own pace. You don't control them. You don't tell them what to do. They've, they've got a lot of demands elsewhere in the world, a lot of problems elsewhere in the world. So when you say you're working with them, you're, having, you're engaged in conversation now. We're actively engaged, yes. Actively engaged. Is, really? <laughs> okay. No, no. I, I mean, there's engaged where you say, oh, we'll talk, and six months later you hear back from them. No, oh, okay. Dialogue. Oh, for sure. That's good. We just got uh, an inside, insider's view of CEO speak. So I should be looking out for active engagement. <laughs> right, noted. I'm going to note that next time I hear that from a CEO. Because we, again, we do hear that a lot. You know, they, they say, oh, we're speaking to everyone, what they meant. Oh, right. I understand where you're going with that. Yeah, no, no, okay. we're, we're, we're a little more active. Noted. Okay. So what are those active engagements and conversations say to you at the moment? Are they going to step back in this year? Do you know? I, I would don't know if it's going to be this year, to be honest with you, because of the way that they set their budgeting process. It's very annual. So we, you know, I think what we've convinced them is that this is a great project. There's really the opportunities that we see are there. Uh, by the time we went through the process last year, they had a mill shutdown and a lot of revenue being hurt. And so they've cut back their exploration elsewhere. And they've been hurt by um, some of their partners cutting back exploration as well. So they plan a program and they find out that they got to cover 100% of the cost instead of 50. And so they've allocated money to what they committed to already. Uh, but I think that there's a good chance that, not a good chance, I'm pretty comfortable that next year we'll be drilling in the wintertime. That, that's our goal. Yeah, I it, it, essentially, I think we spoke with Forum Energy as well. I think they're in a similar position with one of their projects. <laughs> Um, and we also speak to uh, uranium CEOs elsewhere in the world, so we sort of understand what, what's happening at Iran. I think so. I, th I think that's a, that's a genuine um, uh, reflection of the situation with them. So that's good. Um, the budgeting situation starts in July, right? So yeah, yeah. They're they're not that far away from having to make next year's decisions. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. So thanks. That's good news. Um, just in just in terms of um, you guys uh, and how you how you interpret the market, I mean, I'm I'm always interested in like how the management team make decisions. So what are the concerns that you you know you what are the objects that you're looking for, the moments that you're looking for. So are you looking to hear that contracts are being signed? Are you looking to see other equity players moving? 
I mean, how, how do you gauge when you go back to market? Well, one is when do you need the money? That, that's a, that's a, sure, but that's you, a, but I know sort of, well, but you, you kind of you've spent the last two years been very pr- frugal, right? You, right? You have been. Oh, we've been frugal. We've been frugal, and, and I don't think that will change in in super high end markets. To be honest with you, um, because it's just it's just not the way this company's really done business since its inception twenty years ago. Um, we've had some big raises back in the last top of the market, but at the time we were doing big projects. We were discoveries at Shea Creek and we were, we were doing Raven Horseshoes. We had we had a real desire to divine resources and spend the money to do that. Um, so, but, but other than that, those days, we haven't really been crazy with, with, with spend just to raise money for the sake of owning the money. Uh, no, that's, I don't think that's something that our board is comfortable with uh, at this point in time. And I don't think that's going to change in the near future. We, you know, we, as I mentioned before, although we did surprise people when we raised money back in, uh, in December, but the previous raise back in, the, in, in May, that we went out when the opportunity was right uh, for us. Um, it had nothing to do with where the market was going at the time because the market was pretty tough and I wish I'd waited a month. You know, I'd be lying and say I wish we waited a month because it would have we got maybe slightly better terms. Uh, but no, it's really about how do we, but we try, we try to play our budget a little bit more like a, like a mid-state or a mid-sized producer saying, what can we, what can we do? What do we need for next year? And, and make that decision, but make sure that our GNA doesn't run down to the bottom line. Cause once you do that, you're in a very precarious situation from a financing point of view. And it's not a pound of flesh, it's two pounds of flesh. And so we, we're very cognizant of that, uh, but uh, we've had people in, in the last month, I've had calls every day. Hey, we got money to raise. Hey, we got money to raise. Put me on your list. So when you raise that next money, next, you know, then next month or next week or whatever it will be. And it's just, it's not the right time. We don't need it right now. Like to raise the money to let it sit in the treasuries is not fair to the existing shareholders, depending on where things go. No, I, 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 and yes, that means that we get, we get hurt sometimes and we raise money when it's not the best opportunity. Yeah. I, I get I get all of that, I, but I'm trying to think as an investor, you know, how do I look at a company's performance behavior and try and get signals from the market as to when you might be stepping in and looking to raise more capital because it's important for us if we're investing in you to go well I, I know how this company operates and how it thinks you know we've had people come on this show I've asked the guy point blank you raising money anytime soon no two days later press release <laughs> like you <laughs> got enough. to be kidding me you know so no. So how do we work out, we get the frugalness and you've got enough money and you're going to spend it carefully, but how do, how do we get a sense of your, your view, the optics in the market, or what the optics in the market need to look like for you to go, do you know what, I feel quite comfortable now, I feel confident about moving forward. Fair enough. Uh, when we start thinking about what we're doing for next year, knowing that we're probably not sitting on enough cash to do a similar program to what we want to do this year, that's probably the time to look. And that's traditionally when the flow through stuff is at its max. So yeah, I think if you were looking in if, uh, towards us saying, okay, do we have the money to do 2022 exploration work in our portfolio today? The answer is probably no. So closer to the end of the year, when we decide where we're going to be at, we'll make those decisions. However, and you know, the one thing, the one thing I'll always say is that when oddball opportunities come up, to do something unique, then we would raise money on an opportunistic basic that way. So, you know, when, for example, Chemical puts themselves up for sale tomorrow and we can afford to buy them, we might raise a bit of money, but that's probably not going to happen, right? So, right. So, so flow through money is probably the the next time that you'll be looking to the market, I I suspect, but never say never. I get it. I know caveat emptor, all of that kind of good stuff. Something Something has to change. 
Well, that's my next question. My, that's my next question. You're sitting on a massive portfolio of companies and you you are probably going to, are you going to be actively engaged in having conversations with people about them coming in and picking up one or two of these assets? Because it seems quite easy to raise money at the moment, just generally in mining. Uranium's had a good time over the last uh, two, three months. Uranium companies have been taking the opportunity to raise capital because it's you yeah. know flavor of the month. Um, likewise with gold and copper and nickel. You know everyone's having a good time of it. So is that high on the agenda this year to just start bringing in some of these part these partners or earnings or however the heck you structure these things? Because again that. That kind of uh, suggests to investors that there's a sort of active mindset that you're here to do deals. Deals get get noticed. They get people excited. So is that another way that you can perhaps drive the value for shareholders? Oh, undoubtedly. I believe, I believe our, since I've been in the company, my view is always get that, that grassroots portfolio working. And for, for many reasons, one, because we're part of something that could be a new discovery. Two, it takes the it takes some of the risk off of what we do uh, because we don't have to focus on the higher risk end of things. Uh, I think, despite the fact that money is really strong, I think what you haven't seen yet in the space is a lot of necessarily new entrants. There's been a couple over the last few years, uh, or last year or so, a couple of notable uh, additions, um, but they're not necessarily focused on exploration in the Athabasca just yet. Um, but I do believe that's changing because people's views of where their uranium equities are going. So we've had, I can think of two, and I'm sure three, sorry, that uh, that are relatively new. Uh, the, the existing so people, companies that are in this space, you know, they, they all have their, their gem in their portfolio. And when they have the money, they're probably first engagement will be on taking the first crack at those. So yes, if we see more IPOs, more companies interested in or looking to IPO, then I think there's an opportunity for us to do that. And I, but we haven't yet quite seen that. If that makes sense, the money is there. I think it's going into the incumbents in the space first, and then when those opportunities start in the markets, if it's still strong enough, then you start to see the new companies come out. We've seen a few Australians coming over, venturing yes. into North America, right? And yes. um, questionable. In it, it, you know, it's it, sometimes it's questionable. Let me put phrase it like this. Be careful how I phrase this because there's there's, there's there's some good ones, but. What are you looking for? Because you've got to be realistic. And if it's just a promote job, it might raise some money. They're here for a quick win. And then you're kind of left high and dry and back to square one again. So um, management team with a track record is important to you. And ability to raise capital, I guess, is important to you. Absolutely. But I think also it's a commitment. So there's there's two kinds of commitments you've got to watch for when you're doing a deal on a product farm out. And, and one would be the never-ending commitment. So you sit there and say, I want to, for two, say $2 million, uh, we can earn a X percent of this project, but we have eight years to do spend that $2 million. That's an option play for that company, not a commitment to run the property. Those are not attractive. And then the same being the other side saying, well, uh, we want, we'll spend 2 million this year and get to a certain point, but we want one of your flagship projects. So I've had someone come to me and say, hey, we want Raven and Horseshoe. Well, I'm sorry, you're not going to get it for that price. It's not the market price of it today, never mind what's potential in the future. So there's a little bit of, uh, I mean, and, and you reach, right? And you, you, you try to see what people will say yes to. 
uh, we're in a comfortable spot where we don't have to say yes to anything that we don't want to do. Uh, and that's because we're, we're fortunate that our, our core projects and a lot of our grassroots are, it costs nothing to hold. And we have a, a long time before they become uh, susceptible to, to lapsing. So we can be patient. And I think it's for our company's interest to be patient and get the right partners in there who want to spend a couple of years, solve a problem or answer a question. I think probably is a better answer. Answer a question that we have about what we think the potential of this project is. Maybe they'll find 10 more questions, but at least solve a problem versus just give them an option on something. Uh, I, I don't like option plays. They just, they tie up your land. Uh, nothing gets done. Um, you know, our idea is that we want the portfolio to work, not be someone's option. And so we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that yet. But I, but if the market continues to where it's going, then we will see it. Yeah, I, I, I think that, I think that's well said. Again, we've been talking to quite a few companies recently where they're, they're in that holding pattern and they're beholden to their earning partner who's just got other things to, to look at or they've got cash flow issues or they're distracted for whatever reason. But that then, that kind of d- determines some of your valuation because you made a bad choice, I think. Yes. You know? and, and the last thing you want to do is find a partner who's going to follow the flavor of the month. And then next year they're in another they're in another commodity because you know those those I think that's probably the third criteria. Yeah. Do you really want to be in the space? I've got a great because I think there's I think there's a potential opportunity here for you to rename your company, and you can have this UX, UEX Silver. That's yours. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. You're gonna put us out on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. That's yours. Um, but I, but you know what I mean. I just I just think that we, we you're right. P- people sort of changing horses and changing direction and flipping and flopping, um, trying to read the market as opposed to focusing on the fundamentals. And that's why I enjoy talking to you. The, the track record, the experience, the, the realism, and you you focus on the fundamentals and not racing into headlong into a bad decision. So um, that's been it's it's been it's been great. And um, like I. Roger, I'm just kind of conscious of your, your time here. It's early in the morning and you probably need your second coffee. So um, <laughs> we should... I look that good, do I? Yeah, <laughs> it's the suit, it's the suit. Um, like, thanks, thanks again for your time. Uh, great to catch up. We should speak more regularly. We haven't spoken since September. Um, but I, I guess with some drilling now, you're going to have a bit more to say, a bit more often. I, I hope so. I definitely hope so. Well, that, that's why we're joining. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.